Hello, you're listening to Clockwork, a podcast examining the gears that make businesses tick. I'm Peter McCara, and I'll be your host for this edition of Clockwork. A big thanks, of course, to Edu Mansanu for kicking things off. Join me as we dive deeper into the technologies and trends that can help businesses secure their digital transformation journey. A little bit about me. I currently serve as the Senior Vice President for Globe's Enterprise Group, also known as Globe Business, the ICT solutions provider to top corporations in the country. And to share with us two decades worth of experiences with cybersecurity, we've got Anton Bonifacio, the Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, for Globe Telecom. Anton became the youngest certified information system security professional in the Philippines when he was just 23. He has consulted, managed, and led security operations in different parts of the world, specializes in Linux and open source software, digital transformations, and of course, cybersecurity. Hey, Anton. How are you doing today and how are you surviving the pandemic? Hey, Peter, I'm good. First of all, thanks for having me here. I mean, it's always a great honor to be able to sit down with you. I mean, I always enjoy our casual conversations offline. So being able to do this, I guess, quote unquote, online and formally should be equally engaging. I appreciate your supporting us, Anton. But Anton, you actually started in IT when you were just 12 <laughs> as the youngest bulletin board systems operator in the Philippines. Uh, could you just share with the audience what a BBS operator does and you know what is comparable to that job today? Bulletin board systems would be something that would have predated the internet to a degree. So back then, all you had were your modems plugged into a phone line. And then what would people do is instead of going to a website, you would go to a bulletin board system. And you would do that by dialing into that number. So it would be my system that would respond and then people can post messages in a bulletin board. They could download files. But it was just one person at a time, right? So that was then a network that we built as a way to communicate. So that would be like the early stages of the internet back then. So I guess it's like a modern day internet, email, and chat platform together. Also with us today is Ken Dietz, the Chief Information Security Officer for SecureWorks. It's one of the world's leading managed security service providers that protects over 4,000 businesses worldwide and a partner of Globe here in the Philippines. Ken's 22-year career in information security includes heading up special intelligence and national security teams in the U.S. Navy, National Security Agency, and the U.S. Cyber Command of the U.S. Department of Defense. Ken, I know that's highly classified work, but what can you share with us with respect to interesting things you were doing without having to kill us? Well, some of the most interesting things that I've been involved in would be tracking infiltrations or hackers into the Department of Defense networks. All through the early 2000s, it was definitely a hotbed of activity, and we learned a lot from other nation states trying to steal our secrets. Ken, you're now a civilian in the information security industry. Can you tell us about what attracted you to SecureWorks and what is it that you do over there? What excited me about SecureWorks was the mission. So I continued to grow and help organizations combat these bad actors and try to make sure that we're setting companies up and, and helping make the internet safe for business. Anton, I'm not sure Ken is aware of this one, but I'll direct this one to you. 
You must be aware of a recent incident involving a major bank in the Philippines. Money was being taken out from customer accounts and it bypassed the one-time pins. Do you know the nature of the breach and, and what can the banks do to prevent this type of situation? And perhaps more importantly, or just as importantly, what can customers do to avoid being a victim? Lots of answers to it. So number one, I mean, very specific to the recent incident that impacted the major bank. I mean, it was a backend issue for them. It was a server vulnerability, seemingly, that their system that generates the OTPs through the mobile app, seemingly, although, I mean, their president did admit it in an interview. They said it was an old web service that they were trying to migrate out to that got impacted. So that's a scary part, right? Because unfortunately, that particular incident, there's nothing that the customer could have done. Because it's not like they were fished out of it. They weren't really smished out of it. It's just that, hey, you know what? The bank system had a vulnerability. OTP could be bypassed. Yes, usernames and passwords may have been harvested in the dark web. So there's still potentially some customer responsibility there on oversharing, but it's so hard to protect against those. So this particular incident, it was a responsibility of the bank, whether that's SDLC, ensuring that you know you have proper exposure asset management, like really knowing what is out there, doing your proper compromise assessments, knowing your proper patching and whatnot. I mean, the standard security stuff may have been lacking there. But I think on the flip side that you were mentioning, look, there have been some attacks. And I think that's what's really been the larger scale is a lot of these smishing and phishing incidents, right? That's really tricking a lot of the customers and not just within that particular bank, but the larger banking base, even us, you know, whether that's spoofing the sender name, sending SMSs, trying to trick customers to send their OTPs, that does happen. So I think the BAP kind of did some initially victim blaming because they thought that that particular incident was a smishing thing, but lo and behold, it wasn't, right? And Tom, what you say, you know, it's interesting. It, it was just going like wildfire, right? And in social media, the bank issued a statement, as you said, from the president, I think within 24 hours and, and committed to keep customers whole. I think that's maybe an overlooked part of cybersecurity is you're going to get breached. And what do you do? How would you rate the response? You know, what would be the appropriate way to respond? That's a great point, Peter, because this is one of the things that was raised during one of the Ayala Mancom meetings uh, that, that I did a presentation on is really that quickness to respond, right? I think within Globe 2, for example, like I said, you know, we do have that degree of customer obsession that, you know, ensuring that we can communicate immediately actually solves a lot of things. I'm not sure if you could say that that particular bank communicated fast because I, I think it was kind of like festering, you know, for a couple of hours. Like I, I think 48 hours is too long that involves money. But I think they did come out and they said immediately. I think it's it's more of that when they came out, they were direct to the point, right? That when they came out, they didn't say, oh, we know about it. We're investigating, period. They just said, look, we know this is what happened. Don't worry. We will reimburse your money. It's not going to disappear. You will have it back in your accounts, period, right? So I think even if there's a slight delay, but I think that when they actually came out with their communications, it was already direct to the point. It was specific and there was already a solution, I think is what pretty much helped them out there. Yeah, I would just add on to that. The thing to keep in mind is that swift reaction, swift communication doesn't just happen. It's something that you need to practice. So making sure you have a plan in place, making sure you've practiced it, making sure you've thought about what you're gonna to do to make your customers whole and restore trust in your company and in your brand during a major incident is something that should be top of mind and should be well rehearsed before you actually have to use it. I appreciate that you said that really well, actually looking for that word. So you lost trust momentarily, 
but because of your quickness and your transparency, you restored trust. I guess that you know underscores that this is really probably one of the top three things you should take away from cybersecurity and ROI discussions is how much is your trust worth, and how important is that to your business. Anton, you're the CISO of Globe Telecom. Can you share a little bit about your job and in a nutshell, you know, what sort of work does a chief information security officer at a telco do? So the idea was, hey, you know what, how do we create a separate group that will be able to focus on cybersecurity and data privacy end to end? And that was a job that, you know, has been tasked to me. Right. So right now, I mean, I think the team has grown almost sixfold now. So we started with 18 people. We're over 100 now. And again, I think the big difference from other telcos, even globally, is that we are captive, right? We were not built just to have an ROI to be able to sell to enterprise clients, right? I mean, like practically 99% of our operations is all captive to globe just to be able to make sure that we can fend off attackers. So this goes from defining policies and governance, but again, our key differentiator is that security operations is with us, right? So incident response, threat intelligence, all the way up to security awareness is something that we do end to end. And now we're doing that not just for Globe the Telco, but the larger Globe group, including Mint, Gcash, Consulta MD, 917 Ventures, and all of these new companies that Globe has been spinning off. What was that road to being a CISO, maybe for the audience who was kind of interested in this type of career? When I started college, I was actually a literature major. So this was always a creative writing major. So my passion at the time was poetry and literature, and then the hobby was computers, right, <laughs> and IT. Then I think it just hit at some point, you know what, when I was in my junior year, I'm like, hey, you know what, what's going to make me more money? <laughs> in all seriousness, though, I mean, it's always just been that burning passion, right? I mean, as a cybersecurity, especially, you know, growing up, like I said, you know, getting exposed early to open source, you know, there was a degree of eliteness, I would say, you know, back then when you were running Unix, Linux boxes and whatnot. So I think it's just uniqueness, right? Being able to do something different, I think, was always the major driver. So maybe you're like our Filipino Steve Jobs. Didn't he go to a liberal arts college and he was talking about calligraphy, right? And then that became really important in how to make, you know, the Mac much more user friendly and affects more people. So you'll just have to kind of translate that with, <laughs> with your protecting globe. Ken, how about yourself? You sound like, I'm just guessing that you're probably a bit more deliberate in how you were thinking about this career? Not at the beginning. So I grew up practically in the wilderness in Alaska, and I hadn't really seen a computer. The internet hadn't really reached us by the time I graduated secondary school or high school. So the first time I really saw a computer or learned about networking was in college. It was an experiment we had where we were one of the first wired colleges and they were issuing IBM ThinkPads to every student as part of your regular kit to go to class with. And it all started there with all the students sending viruses to each other on the completely open network of the campus. Nobody had any clue what they were doing. Nobody understood the kind of harm that could be done. It was just something you did to try and make your classmates computer crash. So that's kind of where it started, was just learning how to get through class without my computer crashing from pranks from my classmates. And then joining the Navy, I, I started on a little more deliberate course and got into instant response. Yeah, I guess, you know, in the military, they have a lot of those 
earlier stage, right? Inventing the internet and all that. You know, back in my day, just to give you a sense of my age a little bit, it was harder to propagate viruses because you had to submit punch cards to the computer room. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, it's changes. It's changing so fast. Maybe Anton, you know, just in the last, you know, you said you guys, uh, you and Ernest have been, you know, brainstorming on this for what going on eight years. I, I imagine, you know, just the nature of the attacks and how sophisticated the uh, criminals are and, and how in turn you need to be, you know, be able to anticipate. I imagine that's, you know, changed quite a bit as well. And could you speak to some of these things that are different now than even probably even just, you know, three to five years ago, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're spot on, Peter. I mean, it's it's been drastic, right? Funny thing is, like I said, Globe was already ahead of the curve when we sort of started the transformation journey sometime 2014, 2015. Because back then, and I mean, Ken knows this, right? Uh, you know, security guys were generally the boys who cried wolf, right? Or that we were just insurance agents. You know, selling was insurance. Nobody really wanted to buy it. And then I think, you know, heading over into 2020, you know, like in a start like 2018 to 2020, I think when attacks started to get real, you know, companies really started to embrace, you know, digitalization. They were all also going through their digital transformation journeys. You know, they were starting to realize, hey, you know what? It's real. All of these things, all of the scary stuff, all of the boogeyman and boogeymen, I guess that we have been somewhat flashing in front of people's faces, they're actually there. Then, you know, here comes COVID, here comes the pandemic. Now you got, you know, more people, more customers, not just the enterprise, but really it's the consumers that are plugging in and getting online. And now there's no denying the reality of cybersecurity, right? That, you know what, well, you can't do anything digital without anything that is related to cyber. And I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing for us in the sense that finally there's vindication but at the same time, it's scary now too, right? Because for us, like all of these nightmares are finally real. Like now, everything that we have been stocking up arms for, everything that we have been training for is now, you know, like the war has actually begun, right? It's no longer fiction. It's not just Hollywood. Now we got to actually get out there and have our arms raised and, you know, have our ammo loaded and go to war. Then I think it's both exhilarating and fun, but at the same time, you know, you wake up and it's daunting, right? Because you realize, like I said, it's all real now. Yeah, I would just add on to what Anton was saying there. The key thing is at the beginning of this, when the security professionals were crying wolf or selling insurance, right? It was hard for businesses to quantify information and how much that actually meant to their operations. How do we measure what we lost in a negotiation because the other side had some more information than we did? That's hard to quantify, it's hard to tell, but lately now it's easy to quantify that. They've certainly monetized most of these criminal operations. And even very unsophisticated actors have access now to a marketplace of very sophisticated tools and techniques to help them monetize these criminal behaviors. So yeah, it's definitely seen a growth and, and now it's a little clearer what the impact is to the business. Give us a sense for where the other industries are and are they really behind and you know, what, what can we be thinking about as to help educate the rest of the market? So where, where's the rest of the market in, in terms of their sophistication and how they're protecting themselves against these attacks? Yeah, so that's a great question. I'd say there are some very sophisticated players out there in the market. And you see that in some of the financial institutions and some of the software kind of manufacturers where you'll see, I think there was a report from Gardner that kind of showed the spend. So their total technology spend 
and you're looking at the high end, you know, close to 15% of their total technology budget is security, all the way down to, you know, the manufacturing sector, which I think is close to 2% of their technology budget. So you can kind of guess a rough level of maturity just on how much of their technology spend is going to security, but also with the big incidents we've seen lately, you start to see where this really starts to have impact, right? So the pipeline providers or the other industry control type providers where they're really getting hit the hardest, and that's because they're probably a little bit behind the rest of the market. Millions and millions of people are going online for their everyday transactions. But whether it's for personal or for business, it seems that for many, you know, cybersecurity is still quite an abstract concept until, of course, you become the victim. So how have you heard then, you know, C-level executives communicating to their boards or to their leadership to upgrade and to level up in cybersecurity? The best ones that I've heard are the ones that don't try to just scare their board, right? Because that's a tried and true trick to get some immediate money, but then you have to come back and show what was the return on that investment and was it worth it, right? And just scaring them tends to not do that. The best forms of communication I've seen with boards are those that have conversations around how much risk is the company willing to take? How much risk does the cybersecurity area actually pose to the business? And how can we quantify that? And how can we Put in place programs that'll keep that risk in the area where we think it's acceptable. And so kind of having those conversations is for the more successful organizations. There are still a lot of organizations that are just starting to dip their toe into it, just getting their hands around it. The immature way would be to go to the board and say, we list, here's a laundry list of problems. This is all bad. Hackers are going to get in, right? It doesn't really help them quantify it and it doesn't tell a story about how much risk the business should be willing to accept in those areas. I see. Anton, you must have heard the rest of your colleagues, the leadership at Globe, talk about you behind your back. So we're all jealous of Anton because come budget time, where all of us are suffering to defend our and justify our ass, Anton you know, is just a fair-haired child that gets whatever he wants. So Anton, how did you hypnotize the board, the leadership at Globe to take cybersecurity so seriously and get you all the toys that you want for Christmas? I think for Globe, it was really just important. Like at the end of the day, being able to tie the security strategy with what the company culture is and what it's trying to do, I think was really the key. This security strategy, this transformation journey is to be able to secure our customers. It's to be able to ensure that we can give them a great and wonderful customer experience and that it's going to be that cost of doing business. Now, it's not an investment. There's no ROI to it per se. It's really just tied into the overall customer experience and service. And I think that particular storyline was what really sold it so that, hey, you know, exactly. I always just have things pre-approved while you guys are trying to make a case in ROI. <laughs> In the first episode of Clockwork, we were talking about, you know, comparing cybersecurity to, say, if you had a store, you know, the physical bricks and mortar store, you, of course, would install locks, alarms, cameras, hire security and do all those things to protect your business. It's so commonplace that, you know, these robberies and crimes happen, so you do it proactively. Why is it that in cyber, we're reactive? 
just wondering, how do we make better comparisons? I mean, surely for businesses whose part or majority of operations are digital and, and we're increasingly seeing that, you know, it becomes more crucial to be proactive. Can, is it a matter of simplifying even more? Is it a matter of hacking them, but not destroying them so that, you know, they can still be reactive, but, you know, I, I don't know, have you guys worked that out because you work with so many different customers? Yeah, so I find that, that that's really like a people question. And I think the reason why we've been less successful at it in the past is because we've tried to treat it like a technology question. So a lot of CISOs are technical experts. They've come up in the field. They hire a team of technical experts and they and everything's a technical engineering problem. When the first problem you have to solve is the people problem, right? You got to, why does the business exist? Who are the business leaders? What are the risks they're worried about? And telling them the story about how cybersecurity impacts their business. So so once you make that connection, then it becomes easy, it becomes intuitive. Oh, it's just another risk I have to manage. Of course I have to have locks on my doors. Well, I also don't want people breaking in over the internet, stealing my things. So how do I go about that? And what's the level of investment I should have in those areas? Now you're just talking about how sophisticated you wanna be versus you know, do we need it to begin with? We were talking earlier about how the cyber criminals are more sophisticated. They're trying to, you know, go after every potential threat vector that you might have. They're looking at your vendors and partners and your entire ecosystem. I once asked Anton, you know, for the audience, I said, hey, how many breaches do we, do we get on our network? Since I know we're number one and in terms of, of a prime target and, and what Anton, the way he responded kind of shook me up a little bit. He said, I, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's probably over a million. <laughs> it's like over a million. The vast majority don't get through. But could you share a war story that what were the lapses and how did you take control of the situation? I mean, I think, you know, one of the biggest war stories to a degree is just really the vastness of the globe infrastructure, right? I mean, there's still something so daunting when dealing with a telco early parts of our transformation journey. You know, you talk to IT, you talk to network, the telco network and say, hey, you know what? How many assets do we need to secure? Oh, you know what? We got 4,000. Are you sure? Yes, we got 4,000. Six months into it and you do asset discovery, it's actually 12,000 servers, right? And nobody knows what those servers are, who owns them and what they do. So that would be really one other challenge. And the other is, you know, I guess with the lack of sophistication, the culmination of the transformation journey was really getting the security operations center up and running. So when we got the stock up in 2017, you know, it's really quite literally turning on the lights because all of a sudden it's like lifting the carpet of a house from the 1800s and you realize, oh boy, not only do we have cockroaches under there, there are ghosts, like they're real ghosts <laughs> hiding underneath all of these things. So you're talking about bad insects and scary stuff and it's just, you know, it was eye-opening, right? Without really incriminating ourselves. So, you know, I think being able to pivot very quickly, given that visibility to be able to resolve it and really operationalizing our security so that it's no longer just periodic, right? I think the problem, Peter, is that security was always treated with that governance and audit hat and saying, hey, you know what? As long as you do a pen test once a year, you will be fine. Nah, you got to do pen testing like every minute of the day, right? Because you got to be doing threat intelligence. You got to do the detection. So I think all of those things, that reality come crashing into us was one of the scariest things. The war stories for me are insider type risks, right? So reputation tends to be a big thing because we're security providers. 
We made a lot of investments in our product security and in securing our services and processes for our customers. But maintaining that and maintaining that high level, right, requires a lot of internal monitoring and a lot of cleaning up from, you know, human mistakes or engineering out human mistakes in certain processes. The biggest, most visible things to our customers would be if an analyst makes a mistake and sends a piece of data that belongs to one customer to another customer. Those tend to kick off a lot of robust incident response processes. Legal gets involved, right? And we got to do communications, contact the customers, and then go look at, you know, how was the mistake made? What did our analysts do? And then work with our customers, make sure that they're assured that the data is protected. We haven't figured out how to completely engineer out all human mistakes yet. So they still do happen, but we are slowly getting there. It's not compliance. You, you have to operationalize it. But you know, with how fast things are moving, I imagine it, because you always said to constantly train people, but where do you find these people? Ken, in your other markets, I imagine that the skills shortage must be quite acute. And what do people do? Where, where do you find? Where do you train? What have you seen in the market? So for us, we like to train our own, right? So we'll get them right out of school. Starting as an analyst for us, they'll, this will sometimes be their first job. So start to train them and put them through our own pipeline to build our own security expertise, right? Trying to go out and hire a senior security researcher is tough, even if you have the money to do it, right? That doesn't guarantee you're gonna go find a quality candidate, right? There's a lot of competition for those individuals and they have a lot of choice in where they can go. So building our own talent is a big focus for us, but we also hire externally. But when we do that, we're generally looking for very experienced folks and they're very targeted type of acquisitions. But the talent is not easy to find. As a security provider, this is one of the selling points for the service, right? We're going to have that level of expertise because we built it and we have a program to foster it, but it's something that a lot of other companies whose focus isn't cybersecurity are going to have a hard time competing with. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end here. What an enjoyable and insightful discussion. I always learn a lot. I thought I knew a bit, but then again, it moves so fast, I, I, I learned even more. So just to share with the audience, you know, some of my key takeaways, there was a lot, so I apologize if I don't cover them all, but there's a lot of benefits to digitalization, of course, but it does tend to heighten your exposure to cyber attacks. So you need to have a cybersecurity strategy along with your digitalization one. Factor in cybersecurity investments in your digital transformation ROI calculations would be what I thought I had in mind. Second, you need to operationalize cybersecurity. You know, you need a 24 by 7 warfare operational mindset. It's not just compliance that you check every quarter or so. If you're in Anton's shop, you expect people to breach and then you're going to go break their kneecaps. <laughs> That's how he's thinking about it. Third, it's crucial to educate all employees on safety measures from the executive level to the rank and file. Cybersecurity awareness has to be part of the company's DNA. And, and maybe a final one is, you know, don't forget about communication, right? So there might be times where you lose trust. Don't take too long. Don't be taking more than 24 hours, probably. 
you know, within 24 and, and be transparent as much as it makes sense to restore trust, I think would be key. So it's bound to happen, but you can still restore. Anton, Ken, always a pleasure. And thank you for participating in the show. Thanks for having us, Peter. Thanks. Thank you. Friends, that was Anton Bonifacio of Globe Telecom and Ken Dietz of SecureWorks on cybersecurity from the lens of CISOs. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you come away with a better understanding of cybersecurity and how it affects all aspects of a business. I'm Peter McCara. Join us again next time for another episode of Clockwork. <laughs>